from an organizational standpoint, I think that, you know, what's really important is to be be okay being uncomfortable. And I was afraid, I was fearful, um, but one of the things that I like to say is do it afraid and I like to fail forward. So I'm not afraid of taking risks. It's me versus me. And so that that mindset really matriculated over to my professional career. Hi. You're listening to the Optimize Your Team podcast. In today's episode, I spend time with another Teamalytics teammate, Deandra Pardue. Deandra shares a sneak peek into her upcoming book on impacting work culture based on her experience in turning around underperforming organizations. We also get her insights into what helped accelerate her career as a young minority woman and her advice to leaders who want to accelerate the potential of all their teammates, no matter who they are. Deandra, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I look forward to the conversation. Likewise, likewise. Always enjoy time with you. Um, so, hey, I love to start these interviews, these podcasts off with a generic question around how you would describe your leadership style. Okay, okay. Well, I'll tell you, Rohan, I like to be different. All right. So I'm going to say that initially, I'm going to say it's situational. And the reason why I'm saying it's situational is because anytime I've worked with a, a team where I was the leader, it really differed. I had to really assess what they needed. And but what ended up happening after the situationship, I'll say, took place, um, I actually would would call myself a transformational leader because we would definitely transform. But I would do that by being a servant leader. So I know I said a lot there, but I would say it's situational, but it turns and transitions into being transformational by being a servant leader. Mm. So tell me about that. What what does that mean to you, being a servant leader? Yeah. So servant leader, you know, to me, when I think of the word servant, I think of really serving others. And by serving others, you you really get to understand what the needs are. Um, most times in my experience, it boiled down the communication or lack thereof. So really making sure that everyone had a voice and with that voice, you know, really understanding how we can all work together and win together in a team and really just serving them, serving their needs and making sure that the needs of the organization is met as well. And so that's what really what a servant leader is overall. Um, I can go in detail if you want me to a little bit more. No, no, no. That's good. I, I, you know, I just, I always love hearing different people's, my wife and I were joking about this uh, a couple of days ago. You know, we ran a guest house in Sri Lanka as one of our uh, little stints of, of fun things that we got to do. And one of our mentors was, was joking. We were kind of complaining about, you know, just dealing with some of the guests and things. And, and she said, very wise, she said, you know, everyone talks about wanting to serve until they're treated like a servant. Ooh. And then it kind of changes, you know, so it's like, ooh, man, that's true. That's true. No, I don't I don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So anyway, I lo- lo- love it. Awesome. OK, well, maybe for our listeners, always helpful just to get a quick snapshot of just your experience to this point. I know you've, you've been able to do a lot of cool things. Um, so maybe just a couple of minutes. Give us a, just a wave of your experience and, and background to this point. Sure, sure. Well, um, it's it's funny because I like to say you, I've literally touched so many different industries in such a short period of time. Um, but I'll, I'll start uh, with my professional career in leasing uh, apartments. I was actually a, a leasing manager for some college apartments. They were literally right next door to one of the largest universities in the state of Tennessee. 
Um, in that place, you know, I really, really learned so many different uh, skills. I learned about sales a little bit more, marketing, um, leadership overall, budgets, and just really trying to make sure that we achieved a goal. And it was a lot of fun. And I've already had some experience prior to that in various roles. I mean, I've already played sports. I've always had these different jobs and I was promoted pretty quickly. But that's the one job I will say was extremely challenging for me. Um, back then we were able to get incentives, um, for every single person who had enrolled into the apartment, um, who had signed a lease rather. And so I was really excited about that bonus. So, you know, I was like, Hey, you're signing up, you're living here, you know? Um, but I was definitely in compliance. So that was a really, really fun job. Mm. I did that for a few years. Um, after that, I transitioned into education. So I graduated from from college and um, transitioned over to to being a high school Spanish teacher. Oh, that was fun. Oh, man, that was fun. That was fun. Um, I had the experience, though, when I was in high in college, rather, um, I traveled outside of the country. Um, I was able to really collaborate and communicate and, and really live in the culture of um, Argentina and Mexico. You know, I learned so much about the different cultures. So I was able to bring a lot of that experience into the classroom. Uh, but quickly, I'll, I'll share this with you. Um, I was in the classroom for a few years, but even in the classroom with Spanish, if you were going to be on the um, Spanish path, ex especially in the, in the uh, district that I worked for, that means that you were college path. And what I quickly realized is that many of my, because I taught sophomores and juniors, sometimes seniors, they were college path, but they had no idea what they wanted to do. <laughs> None, like not even a little bit. So I turned that classroom experience into a real life experience. So um, I would, I created a little organization where I would take students to college visits and, and things of that nature. Well, that led to me being recruited. <laughs> and um, I was a high school admissions representative um, or and a presenter. So I actually left the traditional education and I transitioned to proprietary ed, where I, like I said, I was when in high school. And that turned into me, people always sending people to me. They didn't understand, you know, how is this person from education doing a sales job so well? So so, you know, and for me, it was passion. So I was a high school admissions representative and a presenter. Then I was promoted quickly to assistant director. I woke up and then I was a director of admissions. I always thought I was going back on the education side. I swear I did. But um, I ended up always just coming back on to this the kind of the sales side. And because I wasn't salesy, I stood out and um, I had a lot of success. But after that, um, I was recruited again. I actually left and I, I transitioned to nonprofit where I ran um, the operations for the admissions departments in a few different colleges. That was a fun job. Um, one thing I definitely am holding on to that I'm very proud of is the organization that I worked for. They uh, never turned a profit um, until I got there. So they were in business for 10 years, had no profit whatsoever. So um, I came in, had an operational mindset on, and I just really brought people together. And that's really my niche there is bringing people together, like teamwork, bring, you know, I love sports. I taught one of my degrees is in athletic coaching. So I had all this, you know, kind of psychology behind people working together, brought that into the workplace. And um, so I had really, really successful transition there. And then I transitioned to uh, a private equity group and that private equity group where I was the uh, executive director, like a college campus president. 
And again, you know, I'm used to having these positions and these organizations that are underperforming and um, I actually thrive in that underperformance. I love the underdog. That's something about me. I love having the underdog, the ugliest situation, the uglier, the better. Right. (laughs) So um, was able to turn that campus around to be the number one college in the entire company. And the company had over um, well over 30 campuses. And so then again, you know, they sent me to different campuses. I was training people. And then, you know, I woke up and I say I woke up because essentially I want to say I never really applied for leadership. I never searched for leadership. Leadership always found me. So I woke up and then I was the vice president of operations. And the same thing, you know, I I had the most colleges out of um, everyone. And we just we really had a really great time. So I transitioned and I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Right. So um, I'll I'll share this with you. I opened up a few businesses along the way. And one that um, I have going on right now is an online clothing boutique for the career woman. And why that made sense for me is because I'm a traveling woman and I, I love fashion. I love style. I love to stand out. I like to be unique. So um, I opened up my own business. It's thriving um, and it's online. You know, I have my own team. I really don't even have to touch it at all. (laughs) So, um, But that really made sense for me because as I traveled around, I really wanted to make sure I had a sense of style and honestly, to make it easy in in the suitcase. I don't know about you, but I like packing light. I like moving quickly. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm not nearly as fashion conscious and good looking as you, Deandra. So, you know, I probably fail pretty spectacularly at, at at doing anything of that nature. But I know what you mean. It's hard to it's hard to pack for a short trip and and get everything in there. It's always a challenge. You know, and wrinkle so, free too, yes, right? Yeah, without spending a long time trying to steam steam stuff. Totally get that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I did some some consulting as well. And, you know, obviously now I'm doing some consulting and, you know, just really teaching um, teachers how to be better classroom managers and also leaders how to be better leaders. So I love leadership. Um, I, I just I absolutely love leadership. So that's that's kind of a little bit more about me. I've done a lot of different things. I've coached, you know, I've sold jewelry. I mean, everybody has those different types of jobs, but that that's my main professional yeah. background. No, very helpful. And then there's definitely some themes that I want to pull on there. And you're unique uh, inside of our organization because you sort of straddle both two, two different worlds in our education space, working with administrators and teachers, and then with Teamalytics, helping executives and leaders. So it's kind of cool to have that background straddling both even in your career. So there's a couple of themes I thought we would kind of pull on a little bit, and I'd love to to pick your brain and get some insight. So you mentioned you know teamwork several times. Even in your leadership style, you mentioned underperformance. And I know just from uh, our earlier conversation that you're working on actually on a book on, on teamwork and culture. So give us listeners a little bit of insight into your experience, maybe particularly in some of these underperforming organizations or even just building and sustaining high performing teams. What, what are some of the insights that, that you've gleaned that you're putting into this book? Give us like a kind of a sneak peek at, at some of your uh, your, your your lessons and how we can use them in our leadership and, and our teams. I would love that. I love that. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm really proud that, you know, I was able to have so much success, but I'll tell you something is while I was in it, I didn't realize 
what I was doing. <laughs> and and that's really for anybody out there. Like, you know, I feel like I just did what I would call would be common sense. And I think sometimes we overthink situations, right? And I remember sitting in some of my offices, I'm like, oh my goodness, this needs to do this. We just need to do this. We just need to do this. And it's just like, I just did it. And I was afraid. I was fearful. Um, but one of the things that I like to say is do it afraid and I like to fail forward. So I'm not afraid of taking risks. Um, and that's what I really think that some leaders should do. So I'm going to um, back up a little bit and, and really focus on work culture, because I think that that is the one item that really needs to take precedence, especially as a leader takes on a new role um, in an org- any organization. You have to really assess the work culture and set the tone set the tone for that particular, uh, whether it's a team, whether it's an organization, you know, um, leadership matters and the work culture is really, really where you want to begin. So I'm going to actually start with what I'm with the definition of culture, work culture. So looking at Indeed, um, according to Indeed, work culture is the collection of attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors that make up the regular atmosphere. Right. And and what's very interesting is we have to make sure it's not what we want it to be or what we wished it would be. It is what it is. So in, in order to understand that, you know, you have to do an assessment. So any type of group I've led, nonprofit organizations I've, I work for, whatever the case may be, it always has to be an assessment, an honest assessment. And it can't be wishful thinking. So Um, Some of the things that I talk about in my book, and it's really uh, working on breaking down silos, because really, when you look at a work culture, many times there are some silos there. So what I really look for is um, a start, stop, continue or start, stop, keep. Right. Um, And that's just open ended. You ask your group or your organization, whomever, your your team, um, team leaders, anybody. So and and you just ask them, what should we start doing in this organization or this team? What should we stop doing on this or in this organization or on this team? And what should we continue or what should we keep? And really, Rohan, when I tell you me implementing that alone opened up so many doors and opened up so many eyes. And so that's really where a lot of my philosophy really starts is doing some type of assessment, some type of open assessment to where um, it can be anonymous. um, But, you know, I I mean, I leave it optional. You can tell me or you cannot. But what's very important uh, to do is to make sure that there's a follow up. You can't just have this information and kind of hold it, you know, um, close to you. You really want to make sure that everything is exposed and everything's out there. Yeah. So let me let me let let me pause there, because I think you said a couple of really, really key things. You know, the first one is like, talk about it as it is, not as you hope that that it will be. And I think in some ways that might be easier to do as a new leader coming in. um, But it's just as important, maybe even more important if you've been a leader for a while. And and it's easy to start telling yourself um, a, a story and then confirming that story, uh, you know, re- regardless of what's going on. So I think that was a really key point. It's like, what is actually going on? Uh, and then I guess the question I had was, as it relates to, you know, the assessment and then the start, stop, keep, is the assessment informing the start, stop, keep? What's the relationship between getting a kind of a, a good picture of what are the attitudes? What are the beliefs? What are the behaviors? And then how does that connect with this next piece, which is the, what do we need to start? What do we need to stop? And what do we, or are they kind of two different steps? 
Yeah, well, you actually ask your people, you know, especially if you're a new leader coming in. But this also works for if you've been in your role for a while, if you've been in your role for years and years, you know, and, you know, the the famous coin phrase that people say, oh, this is the way we've always done it. Well, that doesn't mean that it's right, <laughs> right? Or effective, right? Um, so really what, it's an open-ended assessment. When I say assessment, you're really just open-ended asking everybody those three questions. And I like to throw a fourth one in there and say, okay, well, where do you see yourself in this organization? How do you feel like you contribute? And what's very alarming is if there's a person on your team who has no idea what they bring to the table, that's alarming, right? But because people want to feel a part of something. They want to feel like they, they are, they're helping the organization, but if they don't have um, a direction to go, then they're going to fail every time. One person I used to work with, he used to say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. <laughs> <laughs> right? So we all need something to aim for. So to answer your question specifically, um, literally, it's an open-ended question. And based off of what everybody says, you know, you're assessing, you're, you're taking the information and you're assessing you. it. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you move to the next part where you you look for reoccurring themes, because usually there are reoccurring themes. You know, you'll have people who talk amongst it about it amongst each other. But there's typically some reoccurring themes. But what you'll be surprised with is that just how reoccurring that everybody agrees to this certain thing or two. You know, so you take the top two or three, depending on how big, you know, the organization or the team is and you you address it. You know, and what I personally recommend is you set aside time because that's the thing. Like sometimes I think that organizations, they get so much into just this routine of, hey, we don't have time. We don't have time. We have to get this done. We have to get this done. You have to pause and you have to plan and not just at the executive leadership level. You have to pause. You have to plan. You have to share and communicate. So this is so important. So you you don't want to continue doing something that's not working. Right. Like the definition of insanity. Right. You keep doing the same thing over and over and again, expecting different results, especially if it's if it's not working. Obviously, something's not working. So um, what I recommend in, in the book, I go into a lot more detail, but really sure. just making sure that. Um, on a higher level, you you look at themes and you discuss it with everybody. You put it out there, you know, two, three hours of you having a very strategic meeting. And it can be broken down by different groups. But I, I like to bring everyone if possible. And when I say everyone, Rohan, I'm talking about frontline employees, your receptionist, your, your custodian, every single person who has any part, anything to do with any clients, any customers, Every single person possible. And sometimes even third parties. If you have some contract workers, I know sometimes that can be a little interesting. But I mean, literally each and every person that you can bring in just to ask their opinion, we you should absolutely do that. Yeah, love it. Love it. And so it's, yeah, breaking down cultures. And so the, uh, breaking down silos, I'm sorry, um, you know, through this avenue of culture, I think it's super interesting. And so I can't wait to read more and and learn a little bit more about the journey and, and, and the how-to because it can feel overwhelming, right? And it can feel kind of daunting and, oh my goodness, I'm going to open Pandora's box here. Um, what am I going to do with what I find? But, uh, you know, that's that's part of the challenge, isn't it? I'm so glad that you brought that up (laughs) that, you know, because some people don't want to know what's not working. Right. They're like, oh, man, we know this is an issue. For instance, pay. Right. Sometimes some organizations are not they don't have the capital right now to to increase pay. Right. Or do you? 
Right. Have you really looked at it? Do we have too many people in the same position? You know, I'm not saying, you know, just you, there's other things that you can look at. Or um, what I used to have some of my uh, college presidents do is take a look at their t- outside of payroll. Take a look at some of the contracts that they have. Make these people give you bids every single year. Your cleaning contract, like just really assess every little thing. Look at your business and see and just assess it. Just really just look at it, ask for for bids and see if there's an opportunity. Um, when I did that, I'll tell you, I saved um, one campus. It was over $60,000 that really was just a wash. And while that that's somebody's salary, or you know, so there, there's other ways that, you know, you can really look at it without just assuming, oh, we don't have the money for that. Well, do you, you know, what, what are we wasting money on? So I just, I think that a real life assessment, common sense, as if you are running your own household, right? Like you have to trick certain things, you know, depending on the level you are, but still run it as if it's your personal money, and your personal situation, and I think you'll, you'll really say, would I want this for me? And then, you know, if you translate that mindset over to the organization, it'll be better. But just to follow up on that, after you you open up Pandora's box and all the things, I'm not saying that everything's going to be fixed right away. There has to be just as long as you know the direction and people do well with clear direction and goals. They want to be heard, too. So if they know that you care, at least you ask them. Right. You at least because sometimes people they'll say, you know what? No one's ever asked me my opinion before. And because you asked me my opinion, I want to work so much harder for you. It's that simple. (laughs) So there's so many different things that would benefit just from having this and putting it all out there, coming up with teams in the book. I go into talking a little bit more about making sure that you're not picking people who are always the ones who are overwhelmed, always leading. Right. Look for those individuals who you may see potential or maybe you don't just give them a project, you know. Um, But in the conversation, though, I'll tell you, I recommend talking to each and every person after they send it. And just just asking them to elaborate a little bit. I'd say time 10, 15 minutes, depending on how large the team is. Right. Um, And then really just let people talk because people have opinions. They want to give feedback. And a lot of times as leaders, sometimes we don't want to hear it, but we need to. We need to start there. And that's and that's overall, essentially, you know, then I go into um, making sure that you're rewarding people, making sure that you are following up, having a clear goals and everything. And at the end, you look up and then you're like, oh, my goodness, my work culture. It's amazing. Like literally these these individuals are, are happy. They're smiling. You can literally see a difference. And I do believe it starts with that start, stop, continue. And you just asking people what they think. Mm. Love it. Well, I, I look forward to reading this and, and, and learning more. So thank you for sharing that. Um, here, I want to switch to to another theme. And, and this might be the last kind of thread that we pull on here. Um, but it's a, it's an important one. And and it's it's really related to working in, in environments that are maybe dominated. You know, you, you're a, a, a woman, you're a minority leader. Um, and as you know, there's been such a push in just really challenging uh, leaders, workplaces, people, just to think beyond some of just the stereotypical ways that we've operated in, in the past. But, you know, it's interesting. I heard you say a couple of times, you know, I woke up and this happened or leadership found me. Uh, and so I'd, I I love that, by the way. You know, I love that you, your experience of just going out and being, you know, this this person that goes and gets stuff done and you were in organizations that, that appear to recognize and reward that. And so, so that's awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's really exciting and it gives me a lot of hope, uh, when, when I, when I hear stories like that, but I'd love to get just your 
perspective on both your experience as a minority leader, as a, as, as a female uh, in leadership, um, you know, what some of your experience that kind of helped you maybe uh, that I think others of us who may be minority or, uh, you know, or, or just different from, from kind of everyone else in that environment. Um, and then maybe just what, what advice you have for organizations and leaders that are trying to, to, to create a more inclusive and a more, an environment where everyone can, can be their best and everyone can really unlock potential and, and seize opportunities and, and take advantage. Wow. This is, you know, you said a lot and I'm just excited to touch on this topic because this is my life, right? Like, <laughs> um, and I know the viewers can't, you know, tell my age, but I'll say I started leadership in really large roles in my early twenties. That's what I'll say. And, um, so one thing that I felt like I had to battle outside of my, my sex and my race was my age. <laughs> and I would always say, Hey, there's a few strikes against me. <laughs> But let's let's do it anyway. Let's do it afraid. Let's fail forward. Let's um, do it afraid. I love that. <laughs> yes. So I, I, it probably, you know, I think most things come from people's childhood, right? Childhood. And um, so my childhood, I'll share with you. Um, I am the youngest. Um, I have three older brothers, um, boys. And, and quick, funny story, even coming into this world, my parents, um, well, first of all, they were going to, um, get, my mom's going to get her tubes tied. Okay. And you know, they were like, okay, you know, we're not having any more kids. She went to the doctor and they're like, oh ma'am, you can't get your tubes tied because you are pregnant. <laughs> you were like, uh-uh. <laughs> right. I, I'm coming into this world. I am coming. And then they shared that I would be a male. So my parents thought they would have four boys. Nope. I came out female 100%. <laughs> and so I like to always say it started literally from birth <laughs> that I was fighting for my place here. So, um, I joke about that a lot, Rohan, but really, you know, growing up with three older brothers um, in the country, you know, humble beginnings. And my, my dad, he's the most amazing man I've ever met in my life. And I don't say that just because he's my father, but to this day, you know, he's just an amazing human. He retired 40 years from the same job. I mean, literally, he's just an amazing human. And so I say that because he he raised me, him and my mother have raised me like, okay, these are more masculine roles. These are more feminine roles. Um, not necessarily uh, intentionally all the time, you know, but my brothers, they would be outside, you know, bailing hay and doing all this masculine. And I put that in quotes, okay, things. And But I was like, I want to do those things. I, who cares if I'm a girl? I can do it. So literally when I was younger, um, all the things that my brothers would do playing football. I wanted to do now. My parents did have limits. They would let me do everything. But I had this desire to always do better than the boys. <laughs> so I think that translated over to just my mindset overall in life. And I don't care your age. I don't care your title. I don't care your sex. It does not matter. You know, I'm going to show up and bring you the best DeAndre that I can. And I, it, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you have five Super Bowl rings. I can throw this football better than you. Like, that's my <laughs> mindset. Now, <laughs> sure, it may not always be true, but I have to think like that because, you know, if I think I'm the best and I think I bring out the best in myself, it's me versus me. And so that that mindset really matriculated over to my professional career. 
So um, very competitive and I, really from my brothers and everything. That's just my mindset. But I was raised, hey, you don't respect isn't just given to you. You have to earn it. It's mm. not just going to just be handed to you. And so in these organizations, I had to prove myself. I felt like I had to prove I have to be the best. And once I'm the best, then people will pay attention and listen to what I have to say. Now, my style is very different. I'm very humble. You know, you can even probably hear like I will tell you I can talk to anybody like from, you know, anybody from any background. I'm very relatable. But that's because that is I am true to myself. I don't try to be anyone else. So working in a male dominated field doesn't bother me. In fact, I always wanted to break that that glass ceiling and do the things because people said it couldn't be done or whenever somebody says it can't be done. Um, I have a coin the phrase. I'm like, Hey, hold my wand. Right. Like (laughs) I'm going to do this. (laughs) I am going to do this. So, um, but really from an organizational standpoint, I think that, you know, what's really important is to be, be okay. Being uncomfortable. Um, just asking questions. I am the type of person, I'm very curious and um, ask a lot of questions. Each organization, if there was something that, you know, I didn't think was was right or fair, you know, I would ask, I wouldn't go up angry and say, hey, I don't think this is fair. No, it's like, hey, can you help me understand? You know, I know that this is the policy and procedure. Can you help me understand that a little bit more? And I'll ask, you know, okay, well, how long has it been this way? Have we ever tried anything else? And really asking the types of questions where you're coming from curiosity and you're not coming to attack or anything, because I think that's probably people's approach, their frustration, right? So I think that comes really with time and experience, because I haven't always been like that. And one thing I'm still, you know, I know we're we're coaches and we're coaching each other. One thing I'm still being coached on is my initial response as far as my facial expression, (laughs) I can control my tongue, but my face is (laughs) bad, right? I love that. That's that's really, I'll say, honestly, in the male-dominated, I'll say uh, it's really just asking questions and having real conversations with the human resources department, with, you know, your your supervisor or your leader, your coworkers, having real authentic conversations and coming from curiosity. And not gossip. There's a difference, Mm. okay? We're not gossiping here. We're asking questions. And if that person doesn't have an answer, you can ask your supervisor, is there any way that, you know, maybe I can follow up or do you mind following up with X, Y, Z regarding this particular thing? I'm very interested in it. And it's very important to me. Yeah. Love it. Well, you, you know, I love the, I love those three things before you, I know you had another one there, but mindset, earn it. So bring it, go deliver, deliver, deliver something and then, you know, get recognized for it and be okay with being uncomfortable. Um, those, those are three big ones and they definitely resonate no matter who you are, you know, that's just good advice. (laughs) And you were about to say another one before I cut you off there. No, no. Well, the last question you asked was about, you know, what advice giving organizations to make sure that, you know, you're at least uh, trying to be more inclusive. And the, one of the biggest things I can say is making sure that you make it a safe place to have a conversation. Um, don't wait for the uh, discomfort to come and then, you know, try to figure it out or, or whisper to the left, whisper to the right. Um, I think, you know, with organizations these days, especially with, there's, there's society, right? You literally, the news, everything that's going on, make sure that you have a good conversation 
with people, invite them to the table. You know, I, I believe in, you know, if the organization has a diversity and inclusion specialist on staff, great. If not, please don't go to the person and say, hey, you're of this sex, you're of this color. Can you lead this initiative? Like that's literally the worst thing ever. And I don't know if people and organizations really realize that, you, you know, no, you can ask everyone because here's the thing. It doesn't have to be a person of color. It doesn't have to be a person who is in a particular set. You never know um, what people have gone through. And but what's more important to me is that organizations and I really think that they should have a safe place for people to be able to have open discussions and have these, you know, quarterly meetings. Um, You can have, you know, um, different teams and saying, hey, you know, this team was formula and it needs to be based off the employees too. It can't be run by the senior executive team. Nobody's going to really show up, right? <laughs> or, or they'll show up and won't really talk. But just understand the interest of, you know, what does diversity mean to to an organization? Diversity is not just color and sex and race, right? It's not, it's not. So it can be so many different things. And so I think that really having employee resource groups, um, also known as ERGs, is definitely something that, if done correctly, can be so beneficial to an organization to where their bottom line will increase because of it. Um, But, you know, just really having living in the uncomfort level, uh, the level of discomfort and having conversations and saying, hey, open ended. Is there anything that you think this organization could do better as it pertains to diversity and inclusion? Open ended. And ask everyone. You'll you'll get a you know, that goes back to the, you know, start, stop, continue. You know, you'll get a lot of feedback. But I just think just having the the I'm going to call it uncomfortable conversation. The more you talk about it, the more comfortable it's going to become. And again, people like to be heard. That's my advice. I love it. I love it. No, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing from your own own just experience and journey there. All right. Well, I'd love to close these uh, conversations with just some rapid fire questions. So I'm going to just fire away and then, you know, t- tell me your response. Favorite day of the week. Ooh, it's between Sunday and Monday. So I'm going to say Sunday. Love it. T- talking or texting? Texting all day. Text. What do you need? <laughs> Text. Favorite productivity hack for leaders? Listening to audibles. Mm, I love that too. Favorite phone app? So um, I actually like this decorating app um, on my phone. I, I was telling someone the other day that I listen, I look at it every single day. But my favorite phone app outside of social media is what I'm going to say. It's this decorating app, and the name of it is Design Home. Design Home. Okay, like where it lets you like design your dream home kind of thing? Well, oh. actually, it's decorating. So, oh, okay. Decorating rooms. and Yes. Interesting. I love, 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 love to decorate. I'm very expressive. You know, the whole boutique and the uniqueness. Like, I love, love decorating. So, it takes maybe two to three minutes a day, and I make sure that I don't miss a day. I think I've maybe missed, like, three days in the last three years, and that's it. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Most impactful book that you've read this year? This year, I would say CEO Excellence. CEO Excellence. Okay. Yes. I've not read that one. Nice. I always like to write those down. Best advice you've ever been given? Given? Do it afraid. <laughs> do it. And who, who was that? Who, who gave you that advice? So there was a lady I used to work with. Her name is Chandra Deneen. And um, she would do speeches on it. Just do it afraid. 
Hmm. Do it afraid. And I think also there's someone else who actually is um who wrote wrote a book and it's titled Do It Afraid, but I can't remember. Joyce Meyer, she wrote a book called Do It Afraid as well. Do It Afraid. All right. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love that. Awesome. Well, DeAndre, thank you so much. I, we're going to have to pull on some of these threads again in, in another conversation, but just really appreciate you being here, sharing from your journey and your passion. Uh, you know, I, I, I love it. I love the mindset. I love the like, competitive. I'm going to show you what I can do. Uh, and and then encouraging us to lean into things that are uncomfortable uh, and not shy away from either opening Pandora's box because it makes you uncomfortable uh, or being willing to have a conversation with someone about something that's really important, but it might be uncomfortable. So appreciate your just insight and your wisdom and your encouragement there. Thanks so much again. I really, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. I can't believe the time went by so, so quickly, but I'd love to have some more conversations. Um, and I just, all the listeners out there, thank you for all that you do. Um, just make sure you do it afraid and appreciate all your people. So that's it from DeAndra. Thank you so much, Rohan. Love it. Thanks, DeAndra. Take care. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Optimize Your Team podcast, Head over to our website, teamalytics.com, to find out how we can help leaders like you grow your team. Or if you have someone that you'd like to nominate as a guest, send me an email at podcast at teamalytics.com.